70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, this is Jonathan from Kentucky in the United States. I started listening to Korean music a couple years ago, and that led me to the podcast version of One Fine Day. And I really enjoyed uh, Lena's segments with the other guest hosts about uh, dramas and several decades of Korean music. And I learned a lot. It was very entertaining. And I discovered that I could download the KBS World Radio app and listen to the rebroadcast and also hear the music. Uh, so it's pretty much a daily listen for me at this point. Uh, so I also like to check in on K-Pop Connection because um, they play great music as well and also keep me informed on entertainment news. And I just want to wish everybody at KBS and especially the people that make it possible a, a happy 70th birthday. And I look forward to the next milestone, uh, which will probably be 75. Uh, so I, I'm still going to be a listener then, I'm sure. Thanks. 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's the first day of December, and welcome to our Friday edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Wo. The chief of the broadcasting watchdog has stepped down ahead of a parliamentary vote to impeach him. We'll have more details in news briefing shortly. The Bank of Korea kept its key rate steady this week amid signs that the US Fed is not looking to raise rates either. We'll look closer at the situation for weekly economy review. And then coming up for Movie Spotlight, we have reviews of the local historical drama and box office hit 1212 The Day and the rom-com single in Seoul. We'll have all that and more on today's Career 24. It was widely expected on Friday that Lee Dong-wan, the head of the Korea Communications Commission, would be facing impeachment after a parliamentary vote. But before the vote could take place, it was announced that he was stepping down from his post. Explaining his reasoning, the broadcasting watchdog chief said that he did not want to burden President Yoon Sung-yeol with a hamstrung agency. Our KBS World Radio news, news editor Gu Hee-jin joins us in the studio now to bring us the latest on the political tug-of-war as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee-jin, hello. Hello, Daniel. So the announcement came as a surprise coming just hours ahead of the parliamentary vote. What happened? Well, instead of leaving his fate to the opposition-dominated parliament, Korea Communications Commission Chair Lee Dong-wan offered his resignation to President Yoon Seung-yeol Thursday night, which was accepted the following day, according to the top office. Now, he had this to say when he met with reporters on Friday. If the massive opposition party's impeachment of me is realized, we don't know how many months it will take for the court decision to be rendered. 
During that time, the KCC will be in a vegetative state, and over the controversy surrounding my impeachment, the National Assembly will be paralyzed. This is my duty to avoid this as a public official. An impeachment of the head of the nation's broadcast watchdog would have resulted in a suspension of his duties for several months until a judgment is rendered by the Constitutional Court. The political clash over the powerful broadcast media regulator comes as rival parties are gearing up for the general elections in April next year. And the head of the main opposition Democratic Party immediately slammed the move, saying that it was merely a political gimmick. Indeed. DP Chief Lee Jae-myung uh, spoke to reporters after attending a meeting of the party's Supreme Council on Friday. And he said the move was a political ploy and that it appears that the government is intent on controlling broadcasting by fielding an avatar of Lee Dong-wan, uh, adding that such an attempt is unacceptable. The DP had sought to impeach Lee Dong-wan, accusing him of exercising undue control over the nation's broadcast media and infringing on their independence. Lee Dong-wan countered that he had not violated the constitution or other laws of the nation during the some months uh, since his inauguration in uh, late August. The five-member KCC has been operated by E and his deputy, both appointed by the president, while the remaining three commissioner posts remain vacant. The KCC will be led by Vice Chairman Lee Sang-in until the president appoints a new chief after parliamentary proceedings. Meanwhile, President Yun wielded his veto power on Friday. He vetoed pro-union and broadcasting bills that were passed by the opposition-controlled National Assembly last month. Can you elaborate? Well, the presidential office said Yun accepted a recommendation submitted by the cabinet earlier in the day to send the so-called yellow envelope bill and three others on broadcasting laws back to parliament. The yellow envelope bill um, uh, aims to limit the ability of uh, companies to file claims against labor unions seeking compensation for damage incurred by a strike, while the revisions to uh, broadcasting laws are intended to reduce the government's clout over public broadcasters. Now, Friday marked the third time for the president to exercise his veto right since taking office and came 22 days after the bills were passed in parliament. The vote to override a veto requires that a plenary session with more than half of all lawmakers in attendance pass the bill by a two-thirds majority. In other news, prosecutors have summoned former main opposition Democratic Party leader Song Young-gil after alleged bribery ahead of his ascension to party chief at the 2021 convention. What can you tell us? Well, according to sources within the judicial community on Friday, the Seoul Central District Prosecutor's Office is set to begin questioning Song at 9am next Friday. It will be the first time the prosecution has drilled him since launching an investigation into the allegations in April. The state investigative agency suspects that Song intervened in the distribution of 20 cash envelopes containing 3 million won or around 2,300 US dollars by DP turned independent representative Lee Sung-man to party members, including incumbent lawmakers ahead of the party convention. Let's shift away from domestic politics now. Uh, On Friday, South Korea announced an expansion to its list of sanctions against North Koreans in coordination with the US. Can you tell us more? 
Well, South Korea has responded to the North's launch of a military spy satellite last week with unilateral sanctions against 11 individuals linked to the, uh, the provocation. The foreign ministry in Seoul said on Friday that its sanctions applied to North Koreans involved in satellite development, component procurement and ballistic missile research and development. Some of those designated for satellite development and procurement activity uh, are officials with uh, Pyongyang National Aerospace Technology Administration Uh, while others linked to a ballistic missile development include munitions industry officials and a trade trade official with the embassy of Russia. The move is part of a larger effort involving Japan and Australia to hold Pyongyang accountable for its spy satellite launch last week. What can you tell us about Washington's sanctions? Well, the US also imposed its own sanctions on North Koreans as well as the state-backed hacker group Kim Suki in response to the satellite launch. The eight individuals sanctioned are, according to the US Treasury Department's Office for Foreign Assets Control, associated with the North's state-run weapons exporter, financial institutions and shell companies that bring in foreign weapons technology and revenue to fund the programs. The additions to the two countries' respective sanctions list are part of a coordinated response that includes Japan and, for the first time ever, Australia. South Korea is also planning to launch its own homegrown military spy satellite for the first time on Saturday. And the space vehicle carrying the vessel is standing on a launch pad at the Vandenberg Space Force base in the U.S. state of California. Can you elaborate? Well, according to Seoul's Defense Ministry on Friday, the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket loaded with the reconnaissance satellite is standing for a final round of inspections before it launches in the early hours of Saturday, Korea Standard Time. The California-based spacecraft uh, manufacturer and launch service provider SpaceX said the rocket is scheduled for liftoff at 10.19am Friday Pacific Time or 3.19am Saturday in South Korea. A, a live stream of the launch on the uh, it will be available on so social platform X uh, 15 minutes prior to the uh, countdown. The satellite project was launched in 2018 aiming to reinforce the military's surveillance and response capabilities against North Korea's key strategic targets. That's where we're going to wrap it up for our news briefing today. He Jin, thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you. The Bank of Korea kept its key interest rate steady this week at 3.5%. It was the seventh consecutive time that the rate was kept unchanged. It was a widely expected move. The BOK is assessed to have taken into account the growing financial imbalance between lacklustre growth and snowballing household debt. But this also means that the rate gap with the US Federal Reserve remains at the largest ever difference of two percentage points. To get some expert analysis on the BOK's latest rate decision for Weekly Economy Review now, today we're joined on the line by Daniel Yu, Head of Global Asset Allocation at Uanta Securities. Mr Yu, hello and welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. So first off, what's your take on the BOK's rate decision? 
Well, I think that was the only decision that they need to make, I think. Uh, I think this is a necessity that they need to keep the rate at 3.5%. Uh, if we think about the debt level of uh, Korea, uh, in terms of the consumer debt to GDP ratio, it's well above 100%. And if you look at the corporate debt to GDP ratio, it's almost 140%. And that is extremely high number. Uh, so therefore, if you raise the interest rate too high above 3.5%, that would cause a massive bankruptcies uh, for various type of companies and uh, individuals. Uh, if you look at the IMF period of 1997 and 8, uh, we looked at Korea's corporate debt level to be around 130% plus. Uh, which is actually below uh, what it is right now. So I think that they need to keep the interest rate high, but nevertheless, uh, we, we cannot have a, such a high level of the interest rate because the bankruptcies could be could too much. And also we cannot have a rate that is uh, lower because then you know, the restructuring cannot happen. So I think this was the only choice that BOK had. Right. And as I mentioned, the rate gap with the U.S. Uh, still remains a concern. So it's the largest ever two percentage. Uh, it's, it's the largest ever at two percentage points difference. However, pressure for a rate hike was eased in the U.S. amid reports that the Fed uh, was now not likely to raise its rate anytime soon. And that's because there were favorable inflationary indices and stabilizing global oil prices. What is the current state of inflation in the United States at the moment? Right. I think if I need to start this uh, by answering and saying that Korea is lucky that uh, U.S. is in a room, uh, in a position that uh, inflation is falling and therefore they will be in a position to lower the rate. Now, if you look at the uh, Fed uh, interest rate uh, expectation uh, in the future, uh, they are saying that uh, probably most likely that they will no longer raise interest rate in the December decision as well as January decision of next year. Uh, and obviously this is because inflation is falling uh, in a right track. Uh, if you look at the overall inflation numbers, the CPI is at 3.2%. Uh, the core PCE inflation, uh, it is at around 3.5%. Uh, and the PCE inflation is at around 3%. So. Clearly, the uh, inflation has fallen quite significantly, and it is well below 5.5% uh, uh, the Fed interest rate. So, therefore, we think that uh, the government, uh, U.S. Fed, is in good position to lower interest rate in the future. Uh, and also, if you look at the major contributor for the high level of inflation yet, it's because of the housing-related rental uh, cost, uh, as well as the food prices. But it seems that that is also falling uh, quite nicely. Uh, and therefore, we think that Fed is no longer too worried about the inflation pressure and most likely that there will be lowering interest rate sometime next year. Right. So the encouraging inflation situation means that the Fed isn't under as much pressure as before to raise rates. But it did signal in the past that it was prepared to do so. What do you think the Fed will do then? You're saying that the Fed will more likely cut rates uh, instead of increasing them one, one more time, uh, like they hinted at before. Yes, uh, most likely. Uh, if you look at the uh, rate, uh, they are expected to lower it probably starting as early as March of next year. 
Probably, uh, most likely in uh, May, it will be the first time of rate cut. Uh, and maybe it is expected to uh, see at least four times of rate cut uh, for next year. Uh, if they started late, uh, of course, uh, they will lower it every time they meet. Uh, so at least four times of rate cut is expected next year. Uh, I think that if they cut it more aggressively, it is possible that they might cut it by 1.5% at the most. Um, now, why that is possible is because when you compare the current cycle as uh, similar to 1995 to 2000 cycle, we saw uh, lowering interest rate did not cause any kind of high inflationary pressure. Um, main reason for that is because of the labor productivity improvement that we saw uh, throughout the period of 1996 to 2000. Uh, we think that that is happening right now for U.S. Uh, yes, the labor cost is a, a, affecting the inflation to be quite high, but nevertheless, at the same time, we are seeing a massive improvement in the labor productivities. Um, the annualized uh, growth rate of productivity it seems to be around 4.1%. That is highest level of improvement that we are seeing ever since the uh, 1996 to 2000 cycle. So therefore, we think that uh, Fed will be in a good position to lower interest rate because uh, labor condition is not going to be a very highly inflationary, but rather uh, improving in terms of productivity. That will be good news for the Fed. So if the Fed begins cutting rates next year, then we can expect the Bank of Korea to follow suit as well then. Local experts have said that they expect a rate cut in the second half of next year. Uh, do you agree with that? Well, I think that that is a bit too early, uh, I must say. If the Fed is start to cut the rate by uh, May, uh, and cutting it by one percentage point only uh, means that the rate will be lowered to around 4.25 to 4.5 percent, which is higher than Korea's current interest rate of 3.5. So uh, I think that if they start to cut the rate uh, too early, uh, I think that's bad news because, as I said earlier, uh, Korea has a huge problem of leverage. Uh, we are seeing a huge debt increase in the consumer side as well as corporate side. If the interest rates are falling too fast, then the debt level to bloom even further. Uh, that will cause a bigger problem at the end of the story. So uh, I think that we need to control the interest rate at probably a reasonably high level, which we think is 3.5%. Uh, and I think that we need to keep that rate to a very long period of time rather than cutting it, because we need to reduce the current uh, corporate debt size as well as the consumer debt size as a percentage of GDP over the long period of time in order to restructure the current economy. Okay, so with the developments in the U.S., it looks like uh, there won't be any further uh, raises of the interest rate by the BOK uh, next year. But whether there will be a cut, uh, that will, remains to be seen. There was another announcement that the Bank of Korea made on uh, Thursday, along with the rate decision. It maintained the nation's economic growth estimate for the year at 1.4%, but it slashed next year's forecast from 2.2% to 2.1%. We want to get your thoughts on this as well today, Mr. Yi. What do you make of this cut, and what do you expect uh, the South Korean economy to look like next year? 
Right. I think that if the Fed uh, lowers interest rate and if the Bank of Korea wants to follow that suit, we need to see that economic growth rate uh, going up higher on the base of improvement in productivity ratios. Uh, I think that unfortunately, however, though, we're not seeing uh, productivity improvement ratio as much as U.S. Uh, for Korea. Uh, so uh, I think that cutting the expected uh, growth rate, that's reasonable. Uh, and uh, we are looking at around 2.1% growth rate uh, for next year. Uh, I think that that number needs to be uh, raised if uh, productivity improvement happens, then they can cut the interest rate uh, at a faster pace. Uh, however, though, I'm not sure whether that productivity improvement could happen for Korea, um, despite that our semiconductor industry as well as the electric vehicle market seems to be uh, very competitive, and we are seeing improvement in terms of productivity ratios. But other than that, uh, we're not seeing that much of the improvement. So uh, we will watch carefully how Korea will be following the U.S. productivity improvement in the areas of the AI industry uh, and uh, automobile industries. Uh, if the Korea does well, then yes, we will see much better picture in terms of growth rate as well as the interest rate environment. If we don't see that, uh, then we need uh, to have a lot more suffering uh, and uh, we need to raise the productivity ratio by restructuring. Okay, we'll leave it there for this week's weekly economy review. We've been speaking to Daniel Yu from Uanta Securities. Thank you for your insights today. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 30.28 points, or 1.19% on Friday, to close the week at 2,505.01. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, slipping 4.44 points, or 0.53%, to close at 827.24. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 15.81 against the U.S. dollar closing the day at 1,305.81. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us in the studio now, news editor Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. It's good to see you too, jang So what do you have for us first today? Well, some of the most popular online content these days in Korea involve celebrities showing their casual and candid side through interviews while drinking alcohol. Mm. Uh, But now new government guidelines may limit or cancel such programs. On Thursday, the Ministry of Health and Welfare, along with the Korea Health Promotion Institute, increased the required number of guidelines to adhere to when making media content involving drinking alcoholic beverages from 10 to 12. Yes, this sort of content has gotten very popular recently, but it is understandable that there are concerns uh, that have been raised about such programs. So the government is looking to address this by increasing the number of guidelines to adhere to. Uh, What were some of the key reasons for the measure? Well, the government organizations determined that watching celebrities having a great time and creating fun content while consuming alcoholic beverages can risk promoting alcohol consumption. Celebrities are looked up to as role models and by many young and impressionable viewers especially. So the goal is to avoid excessively promoting a positive image of alcohol consumption to the said viewers and to remind them of the dangers of alcohol as well. 
However, this could be quite a blow to several major online shows now. Most recently, one of Korea's biggest comedians, Shin Dong-yup, demonstrated how there is a strong viewership for such content. Yes, he only started such interviews a few months ago, and it is the talk of the town. A casual conversation over drinks with popular celebrities ranging from singers to actors, with many of them receiving more than 6 million views each. The problem is there are too many influential celebs, ranging from singer Song Si-kyung to webtoon artist Gyan84, while most centers around interviews on or introduced in great restaurants Heavy drinking is involved. Mm. In fact, the two government bodies recently found that 90 out of 100, 100 YouTube contents that involve drinking portrays alcohol consumption as a positive activity, as they also involve hosts and guests getting a bit tipsy and brutally honest. They are coupled with explicit language or behavior. Another issue is that they are mostly sponsored by alcoholic beverage companies, so they involve aggressive product placement ads of such products as well. Yes, such rules have been more stringent for TV, of course, uh, but they had been more lax for online content. It looks like, though, the government is looking to address that now. The message of uh, perhaps drinking responsibly certainly needs to be highlighted more as well, it looks like. Okay, let's uh, move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Yu Seung-jun, also known as Steve Yu, a singer who had a successful career in South Korea in the late 1990s and early 2000s. In fact, it would be an understatement to say he had a successful career. He was everywhere. He was virtually the Michael Jackson of Korea, if you might want to call it that. Mm. But unfortunately, he uh, kicked himself out of his career in limelight uh, for more than last two decades, has been denied entry into South Korea. This was after he acquired U.S. citizenship in 2002 to dodge military service just three months before his enlistment, which has been heavily publicized as he has been uh, promoting this very upright, straight arrow image of himself. However, he might be able to come back to the country as the Supreme Court upheld the court's decision to reverse the ban on Thursday. Yes, we can't overstate really how much of a big star he was in the 90s. But his decision to leave Korea and dodge the military service became a national outrage. Uh, But over the last 10 years or so, he's also been trying to come back to Korea. Can you give us a quick recap of the events that led to this decision by the Supreme Court? Back in 2015, more than a decade after obtaining U.S. citizenship, the singer applied for an overseas Korean visa to enter Korea through the Los Angeles Consulate General. He was 39 year old at the time. The consulate refused to issue the visa, citing concerns about potential harm to national interests. He filed an administrative lawsuit and won in March 2020 when the Supreme Court ruled that the visa refusal was procedurally flawed. But even after that, the singer was still not able to enter the country, right? Right. After applying for a visa to enter the country again, the consulate general rejected the application for the second time. This is when you filed another lawsuit in 2020. This July, the appellate court's panel declared, barring special circumstances threatening national interests, you should be guaranteed, should be granted residency. The reason given by the court was at the time an overseas Korean male could apply for an F for visa as long as he was aged over 38. And while the rule changed in 2017, it cannot be applied retroactively. On Thursday, the Supreme Court's third division upheld the appellate court's ruling in favor of Steve Yu. So does that mean we will see you back in Korea soon? The Ministry of Justice and the Military Manpower Administration are expected to discuss follow-up measures following the latest decision. If he applies for a visa again, it will be difficult for the Consulate General in Los Angeles to deny him without providing grounds other than draft dodging. But even if he receives a visa, the Justice Ministry could retain its entry ban and prevent him from entering the country. If the government approves visa issuance and lifts the entry ban, you will be able to visit his home country 
for the first time in about 20 years. Yes, there are still a lot of people who are upset with what he did all those years ago, saying that allowing him back would set a bad example. But uh, the courts seems to have decided that there's perhaps no reason, uh, re- real reason to stop him. We will see if he does imply, indeed apply for a visa again uh, to try and return to Korea. Let's move on to our final story now. What else has been trending? Over in the UK, the K-pop girl group Espa made the British Daily the Financial Times' 25 Most Influential Women of 2023 list. The group were the only Korean act included in the list, released on Thursday local time. OK, first, can you tell us more about this list? It sounds rather grand. Who are some of the other figures that made the cut? Well, the K-pop band stands shoulder to shoulder with global icons like singer Beyonce, actress Margot Robbie, and designer Phoebe Philo. Those in the list are not ranked. They are considered the world's most influential women on the international stage, including winners of prestigious accolades, including Nobel Prizes, Pulitzers, Grammys, and World Cups even. It was created over several months in consultation with hundreds of FD journalists, readers, and industry leaders. So Esper were included in this list then, and they were the only K-pop act to make the cut. An, in- an interesting choice. Why were they chosen? Well, according to Eugene Che, former co-curator of Hallyu, the Korean wave exhibition at the Victorian Albert Museum that features K-pop and related elements, uh, she gave high praise to the girl group. She was, of course, one of the people who was vouching for their inclusion of the multifaceted nature of their work when she moved to the UK in the 90s, according to Eugene Che. She said her classmates knew little or nothing about K-pop, but that has changed in recent years and leading to charges ESPA, which set and broke a series of records for K-pop girl groups, including becoming the first to pass one million first-week sales with three consecutive albums, performing at the Coachella. And uh, Che noted that by experimenting with their AI avatar counterparts, ESPA pushed the boundaries of K-pop also. Yes, they've been certainly doing some interesting things. Uh, that's where we're going to wrap it up for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Daniel, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me. Next up, we have our film critics here with us in the studio, which means it's time now for Movie Spotlight, our weekly segment reviewing some of the latest releases at the Korean box office and online. So let's bring in our esteemed critics now. First, we have Jason Bechavez. Jason, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jay. It's great to be here, as always. And we have Darcy Paquette with us as well. Hello to you too, Darcy. Hi. So two local films this week, and we kick things off with a historical drama that is turning into a major box office hit here in Korea, which is welcome news, of course, because as we've talked on the show recently, it's become a bit of a rarity in today's market. The English title is 1212 The Day. In Korean, it's called Seolrebom, which uh, I guess can be translated into the Spring of Seoul. It's based on real events. The military coup led by General Chun Doo-hwan in 1979, December 12th or 12-12. Uh, Jason, what more can you tell us? Yeah, this uh, is a period of uh, history many of our listeners will, of course, uh, be aware of. Uh, it had a lasting impact on Korea's contemporary history. There's actually depicted 
In a whole number of Korean films set in the 80s, Tax Driver, 1987, When the Day Comes, The Attorney and others, uh, the coup itself is sparked off uh, by the assassination of Pak chung in October 1979, which is where the events in the film kick off. So uh, General Chun dung played by Hwang Jong-min, uh, is tasked with investigating the shooting of the president, but uh, he uses, uses this as an opportunity to further consolidate his power within uh, the government and uh, military, and meanwhile, the army chief of staff. This, uh, this is played. He's played by Lee Sung Min. He asks Lee Tae Shin, played by Jong Ho Song, uh, to lead the capital garrison. Essentially, this is the army that defends uh, Seoul in an attempt to prevent Chun from taking control of the whole military and, and staging a uh, successful coup. And so, essentially, there are all these characters, but it focuses. Uh, on uh, the general and this commander and how one exploits uh, a power vacuum while the other seeks to defend his country from uh, not from the threat of North Korea but from within his own uh, military ranks. So it's directed mm. by Kim Sung-soo uh, who's brought us a few films including Beat starring, of course, Jong Un-sung and he co-wrote the script uh, with uh, three others. So quite a few involved in the in the script, which actually is evident because the, it's, there's so much going on. <laughs> uh, so many characters, kind of like 1987. Mm. Uh, but uh, it's actually really quite focused. So I think that's testament to the you know the director and, of course, uh, the script writers. Interesting. Yes, there's been a lot of buzz about this film. But Darcy, it sounds like quite a heavy film as well. And we essentially know the ending, of course. <laughs> Does that diminish its impact? So what do you think of it? So as talking about this with somebody just recently, the fact that you go into this film knowing exactly how it's going to end. And yet, uh, I mean, the film catches you up so much in the moment that you you end up kind of suspending your <laughs> disbelief and, you know, thinking that there is a way that they can kind of you know, prevent this from happening. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it shows you in such detail and then you see all of these possible ways that, you know, it could have been stopped. And, you know, when you just kind of read about the results in history books, it can seem like it was something kind of inevitable. Or, And what the movie shows in great detail is that, that actually, you know, if just a few more people had kind of demonstrated right. more courage in this moment that they could have stopped this from happening and then changed the course of Korean history. And so, yeah, I mean, the experience of watching it is extremely intense. A lot of people come out of it just kind of boiling over with frustration and emotion. <laughs> I hear there's even uh, a people playing almost sort of game where they monitor their heart rate during the film on their smartwatches <laughs> yeah. uh, just because it is so intense uh, and to see the results and posting those results on, um, on social media. Yeah, I mean, the... I mean, the closest comparison I can make is kind of going back to memories of murder and that we knew how it ended. And yet, as you watch the film, you become so absorbed in it. You you think they're going to catch mm. this killer who mm. uh, obviously was never caught. And in here, too, like it just um, you can see kind of the alternate history. <laughs> so it works but, then as a tense drama. Yeah. I mean, I was really impressed with it because, I mean, clearly Kim Sung-soo has... You know, he has a long career. He has made a lot of successful films. Uh, his most recent film, Asura, uh is a favorite of some film critics, but it's a very chaotic movie. Like, the energy is just all over the place. And it's, um, you know, I mean, you can count that as a strength, I guess. But if you're 
less generous, you could say it's a bit of a mess in terms of its organization. But this movie is so focused and mm, so it is. Yep. I mean, everything builds off of each other, and all the pieces fit into get together. And uh, so it's just I was not expecting this kind of film from this director. From I don't know. I was just it was a really great surprise to mm. come across this film. Jason, what do you think of it? You mentioned some uh, other films that have tackled this part of Korean yeah. history, like A Taxi Driver. How does this compare? Yeah, it's interesting because The Taxi Driver and The Attorney, both, uh, of course, you know, very commercial films and also very sentimental. I mean, Song Gang-ho in both those films really carries them. And, uh, you know, melodrama uh, features so heavily in Korean films since, you know, the early... Uh, 20th century and I think what's different here is because I think it does in a sense humanize the events but it does so in a way which I think is really quite refreshing and it does infuriate <laughs> uh, viewers but it focuses on decisions you know the, the choices they make so if you compare it to a film actually you mentioned Memories of Murder Darcy where you've got the you know the police detectives in that movie where they're not really equipped with the skill set to ta- you know to, to find or track down the serial killer so they're prevented from doing so um, and whereas here in this movie, the, the characters have agency, and it's the decisions they make that then affect history. So in that in that sense, for me, I thought it was very innovative, and uh, I thought it, it was continue this trend in kind of humanising you know events in Korean history, but it did it in a different way. I understand there's been a lot of attention about Hwang Jung-min's depiction of General Chun as well, right? understand that he puts on quite a performance. Yeah, four hours of makeup, right, before yeah. each, uh, you know, uh, filming uh, uh, day. But, yeah, I mean, what I liked about him, I've always admired Hwang Jung-min, but he doesn't overcook it. And actually there are these moments in the film, like there's this, this moment towards the end of the film where he realises what he's done and... He's human, right? So uh, he could have just come across, and he he is conniving, he is villainous, he does make you really angry, but at the same time he feels familiar, which is kind of scary. So um, I think he he absolutely nailed it, and uh, superb acting. Uh, the only criticism I do have is the music. I thought the music was a bit too heavy-handed, <laughs> but but that that is a minor criticism. I, actually, it was a very well accomplished film, and it's and it's doing so well. And I think that's down to the fact that it, it's just connecting with audiences. It is interesting, Darcy, that it is doing so well, right? It is a welcome development indeed for the industry that's really struggling at the moment. Yeah, it is. I mean, it it reminds us kind of of what <laughs> the film industry used to be like before <laughs> the <this> pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it has been a long time since, you know, so many people have been talking about a particular film. Mm, yeah. And, you know, we have this moment now where, you know, if you want to kind of be up to date with what is going on in Korean society, you need to watch this film. Right. Yeah. It's um, one of those films, definitely. Yeah. And so that's the kind of film that ultimately pushes past 10 million admissions and, um, you know, the other thing about movie going is that um, I, don't, I didn't I think before the pandemic, I di- kind of discounted how important momentum is. But you need kind of a series of films that bring people to the box office. And then once you get that momentum and people get the habit of going to the theater, then, uh, you know, it can kind of continue on and benefit subsequent films. And there hasn't really been a film. I mean, there has been the roundup, but it feels like a special case. Right. Where, I mean, since the pandemic, there hasn't been a film to kind of rebuild that momentum. And so even decent films haven't been doing very well in the box office. And, you know, one film's not going to fix the, of course, the current problems of the film industry, but it, it is really encouraging to see. It's a glimmer of hope. Why do you think is this film that has connected the audiences here so well this year? 
Well, I think it goes back to the point I made earlier is that, you know, you're sitting there watching this film infuriates you. So you're, yeah, I guess you're educating yourself. Uh, certainly, you know, younger audiences who weren't around at the time, uh, they're learning about the history. But it, but it's also, you know, it's it's done in a way that's relatable because you're watching it and you're infuriated with the, people, <laughs> with the decisions that these characters are making. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly most of them anyway, most of the characters in the film. Um, and... Yeah, and I think it's it's just really well accomplished film. I've mentioned the acting. Mm. You know, it's it it it's an expensive film to produce. I right. think the break even point is four point six uh, million admissions, which is pretty high. It will sail past that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's a film that everyone's talking about, and it's different. It is different because it, you don't just have this one character. You know, as much as I love Song Gango, I love him, <laughs> uh, but it's not this film where you sit there and cry and feel right. very you know emotional about a period of history. This this kind of is emotional in a different way. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it just connects, uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm really happy that it's doing so. It's just a good film. That's it is. Why I mean, it is. I mean, okay. that's a compliment way of saying it. I'm a critic, so that's what I do. But yeah, well, it's, it's a, a good movie. It's good to hear that a film is doing so well. It's called 1212 The Day or Seoul in Korean. It's out now in Korean theatres. Let's swiftly move on to something a little less serious. We have a rom-com called Single in Seoul. It has the same transliterated name in Korean. It features uh, Im Soo-jung and Lee Dong-wook and Darcy. It's the uh, second film today with Seoul in the title, in the original Korean title anyway. That's right. <laughs> kind of a different view of the Korean capital. Uh, a much darker <laughs> view in the earlier film. I mean, this one, it, uh, it focuses on the publishing industry, and you know, which is one of the... <laughs> it's an industry that I think people in the film industry can relate to because... Um, you know, it's kind of tough to, to find readers and, you know, you're doing something creative, but you're uh, sometimes struggling to find, <laughs> to meet an audience. Uh, the main character uh, played by Im Soo-jung is an editor at this publishing company. Uh, and actually a lot of it takes place in Paju because that's where the the company is. But the, um, you know, she contacts or her her boss contacts this popular instructor and influencer played by Lee Dong-uk who lives in Seoul and who is very upfront about how much he enjoys being single and living in Seoul and uh, kind of arguing, you know, for the single life and uh, on Instagram and everything else. And so uh, so they have this project together where they're going to publish two books together, uh, one of them single in Seoul, one of them single in Barcelona. Um, and they'll be by two different authors. And, uh, and so it begins just fairly simply and... Um, and in a fairly predictable way, because Very predictable <laughs> you way. know we have these characters that have kind of extreme tendencies, and uh, you kind of know that um, you know the very kind of cold and uh, unfeeling and you know aloof single character that you know his heart will warm up in the course of the movie. <laughs> um, and so it's sort of halfway through where things start to get, I think, more interesting. And right. you know there is a twist that I won't talk about, um, and. Yeah, so the second half's a bit different from the first, but that's the basic setup. Okay, so it sounds rather familiar. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. A quick one-minute review each, Jason? Uh, yeah, no, I think, yeah, the first few minutes I found a bit of a drag. Uh, that's a bit of an understatement, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it struggles to get going. But it, there is a character that comes in uh, a little bit later, and uh, she certainly... Uh, ignites the story. Um, I wish they kind of reversed the roles. I wish Im Sejong. 
um, was this person who really wants to be single in Seoul. Uh, but alas, it's so. I, I'm not. I like Im Su-jung. I don't think she's particularly great in here. Uh, but what I would say, I think it's interesting how the streaming industry is affecting cinema. So this film comes across like a bit of a TV drama. I mean, it's really kind mm. of tame in some ways and um the thing is with a film like concrete utopia that's really dark film but i think you know it's kind of following this trend of dystopian content whereas this is kind of you know a different genre but it's certainly a genre that's doing very well on streaming platforms like netflix and so it does come across to me at least in the in its aesthetic um that it's you know it is somewhat kind of very streaming-esque uh, I recently watched uh, re-watched the film Marriage is a Crazy Thing this is a, a film directed by Yuha which features uh, these two characters who actually don't really want to get married and they're happy being single but you know they want to be in relationships whereas this film it does deal with some similar theme, uh, themes but it, it just it's just done in a very kind of different kind of less extreme way <laughs> which I think ultimately makes it less interesting but mm. uh, uh, so yeah it's, it's, it's okay but I, you know, I wouldn't rave about it. Certainly, the better film is is our first film. Okay. Uh, okay, but not great, Darcy. Yeah. yeah, maybe I liked it a little bit better than Jason. Uh, <laughs> I think that it. I mean, it feels like in a. It's pitched more at kind of people in their thirties than people sure, in their twenties. Sure, millennials. 20s. Yeah. Uh, and I, mean, I liked some of the the details of the films and you know the characters. It didn't feel like uh, again. By the time we get to the second half of the movie, I, the characters felt more natural and I yeah. I was kind of more interested in them. I was interested in the fact that, you know, I was watching this in a theater with a fair number of people. And uh, when the film ended, nobody got up from their seat and they stayed That's... through two thirds of the way through the credits. And nobody got up. And I yeah, was... that was true of mine as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it might have been partly the music that was playing in the credits. But I think also the film is the kind of film that, you know, it did leave enough of an impression on them that they wanted to kind of sit and think about it for a second. Okay. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the second half of the film is definitely the better half, and actually, that's where it, you know certainly gets more interesting. So, it's not a bad film. I'm not saying it's a bad movie at all. It's a three star movie. Three star. Okay. okay. So that was a single in Seoul, and that's our segment for this week. Jason Darcy, okay. thank you as always, and we'll see you next time. Okay. Have a great weekend. Take care. I'm writer Francis Cha. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. It's time for our closing segment on a Friday. It's time for next week from Seoul, where we take a look at what's coming up in the days ahead. And joining me now for that is our staff editor, Richard Larkin. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Happy December. Woo. Yes. Happy December already. <laughs> yeah, yes. No. It's crazy to think about that. Yes. But let's uh, not think about that too long. Uh, what's the first thing we should look out for next week? So on Thursday, President Yoon suk Yeol reinstated the position of Chief of Staff for Policy. He also replaced the Senior Presidential Secretaries for Political Affairs, Civil and Social Agenda, Public Relations, Economic Affairs and Social Policy. They will begin their terms from Monday, but we might also see even more changes from as early as Monday. It is expected that around uh, 10 ministers out of 19 central ministries could be replaced. One of the possible changes is Minister of Foreign Affairs Park Jin due to his involvement in the failure to host the Busan Expo. 
Lee Jung-min, former ambassador uh, for inter- international security at the ministry, and Lee Xinhua, ambassador for international cooperation for North Korean human rights at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, are being mentioned to take on the role instead. This major overhaul comes around a year and a half after the launch of the current government. Yeah, so we could be seeing another major shake-up next week then. Yes. It's also coming ahead of the April general elections as well, of mm. course. I'm sure that's playing into the situation. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for that next week. What's the next thing we should look out for? The confirmation hearing for Supreme Court Chief Justice candidate Cho Hee De is set to be held on Tuesday and Wednesday. Around three weeks ago, President Yoon named Cho as the new nominee. 33 days after his previous pick for Supreme Court Chief Justice Lee Kyun Ryong was rejected by the National Assembly. During a plenary meeting between the ruling and opposition parties on Tuesday, the People Power Party said that it's concerned about the prolonged absence of the head of the judiciary. Uh, Democratic Party lawmakers on its part emphasised the need for thorough verification of Cho. Uh, So on Tuesday and Wednesday, the confirmation hearing will take place and Cho will be appointed if the National Assembly approves. Yes, he is considered a less controversial choice than E, so his nomination is expected to go through, but we will, of course, have to see what happens. Uh, what's the last thing we should keep an eye out for next week? Well, the last Bai K Festa of the year, or Donghang Chukje in Korean, will kick off next week. From Monday to the end of the month, the annual consumer event will take place uh, with hopes to revive Korea's economy by gathering the power of consumer spending. Around 18,000 products will have a 50% discount. There are various local events taking place across the, crunch, uh, the country. You can find out details about them on buykfesta.org. And on Thursday, an opening ceremony will be held at Dongdaemun Design Plaza in Seoul. And it's been reported that President Yoon suk yeol could make a surprise appearance. That's because he attended the opening ceremony of last year's Winter by K-Festa. So yeah, if you're in Korea, make sure to make the most out of the deals that are going on and support local businesses. Okay, so those are our previews for next week. Richard, thank you for that. And we'll see you next week too. Thank you. And that wraps up our show. Join us again on Monday to continue to get your daily dose of current news analysis. Till then, I've been your host, Kwon Jang-wo. Until next time, thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. Like the sky.